On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be giving you an update on the Devin Selvey killing. He is the 14-year-old, as I'm sure you know, from Sir Winston Churchill High School, who was killed this week by, we are told, a 14- and 18-year-old who are now charged with first-degree murder. We'll update you on what's going on and try to wade through some of the confusing stuff that we're hearing that may or may not be true. We'll, we'll do that. Uh, we're also going to be chatting about Pinball Clemens, changing tack a little bit. Uh, the Toronto Argos, boy, they seem to be in complete disarray. Enough that they are bringing back Pinball Clemens, who seems at all times to be the answer to all things when the Argos run into problems. But at what point do you start to say these are problems that are now beyond merely pinball solvable. And we're talking to Ralph Malf. Yep. Don Most, the guy who played Ralph Malf in Happy Days, he's up here performing in a play just up the road. And we are going to be chatting with him about all things Happy Days and other stuff. Stick with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I'm assuming many of you have been following closely for the last couple days this story of the killing, and just by the way, just to clarify one thing, saw some people on social media today who were quite upset that some people refer to this as a killing rather than a murder. And they say, no, it's a murder. It's a murder. Just, just to be clear, murder is a legal term. Legal is a, uh, murder is a legal term. So what has happened here, it may be a murder, but it's not been established that it's a murder yet. So it's a killing. And, and it's, I mean, I know these are small things, but there's so much stuff that's bouncing around right now that is clouding this issue, that is confusing things. We're getting all kinds of weird information and some right, some wrong, but I want to try and help go through some of the stuff with someone who's been down covering all of this. Katrina Clark is a reporter with The Spectator. She has been covering this right from the beginning. She joins us now. Katrina, how are you tonight? I'm doing well. Thanks, Scott. Uh, you are probably worn out at this point. I mean, this has been one of those stories that just every five minutes, something else seems to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly been uh, an ongoing, very tragic story, and uh, we've been following it right from the beginning on Monday. Let's go through some of the stuff, because as I say, there's so many things that are out there now. Um, Devin Selvey, by the way, I don't know if I said the name, just I want to keep mentioning, because he is the point of this whole thing. Uh, There was some news, and we'll go through a bunch of these things, but there was some news this afternoon that I was kind of surprised the police released. I mean, it's really interesting. They have said which one of the accused, there's a 14 and an 18-year-old who are both accused, they've said now which one they believe did the killing. Yeah, so at the news conference this afternoon, police confirmed that it was uh, the 14-year-old who um, who had wielded the, the knife. That's the weapon that they've um, that they found that was believed to be involved in the assault. So, yeah, that was uh, that was certainly surprising. Any idea? And I know I'm asking you to speculate a little, but any idea? I guess the you know I, I don't know why they would release that. I don't think it's a problem they do. I was just as I say I was sort of surprised because it's the kind of thing normally the police would say. Well, we're going to keep all these details until trial or something. I was a little I was a little caught off guard by it. Yeah, I mean I, I can't speak for the police. I'm not sure why they decided to release that information, but um, perhaps they felt it was in the public interest to to share it. Um, and yeah, I mean it certainly. It's disturbing to 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 know that this child was, you know, that Devin was killed in the first place. But also disturbing to know that it was someone his age, who was fourteen, who a child, um, allegedly, allegedly, of course, of course, had, um, 
but a child. Involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's the part, of, and maybe that's maybe that's part of the reason why. Because I know the police have been getting again on social media a lot of blowback for not releasing the name of the eighteen-year-old because he's an adult. Maybe this is partially that to say, look, it, it's a secondary thing. I I don't know. Uh, mom also, uh, Devin's mom also spoke today. Some of her clips have been played, but what did mom have to say? And I mean, what can mom say really? But what did she have to say? Uh, she was she was distraught. I mean, she spoke outside um, outside her home where her friends and family neighbors have been gathering for the last uh, day or so. And uh, I mean, what she had to say was just you can't imagine any any person going through it. Um, she said she hasn't slept since Monday. You know, since she first woke up her son up for school uh, that day, and basically, it's just something that's been haunting her. She as I'm sure many people know, um, witnessed the the stabbing um, of her son. And she didn't want to get into details of that. But, yeah, she just she talked about how her life has fallen apart, um, how she got a call on Monday from her son saying that uh, people were bothering him. She showed up at the school, and then uh, later on we learned that, you know, he was stabbed on school property and then taken to hospital where he was pronounced dead. I want to go in just a minute because we've got to take a break in a minute here, but I want to go through what we actually know because, again, there there have been reports and things. Uh, let's, let's start. We'll, we'll come back after the break and finish it. But what do we know for sure so far about what happened? Do we have enough details or enough information now to start piecing together what actually took place yesterday afternoon? Well, I mean, certain things we do know. Um, other things, you know, remain pretty unclear. And I think... A lot of individuals, um, you know, they don't want to get into the details of uh, what actually happened just in light of the police investigation being ongoing. Um, what we do know is police received a call uh, around 1.20 on Monday for a stabbing, um, arrived on scene, and the mom, his mom, had witnessed the, uh, the attack, and again, he was taken to hospital where he's pronounced dead from speaking with, you know, friends and family. What we understand is that this boy was bullied. Um, it's not clear yet if that played a role in in his uh, in his death, um, but certainly that's something police are considering. Uh, and yeah, it sounds like he, you know, he's a grade nine student. He'd been at school just a little over a month, and it sounds like he was having a really terrible time. Um, and yeah, his mom and friends and family were trying to get him help and it's been confirmed the school board's confirmed that uh they the family had been speaking with administrators at the school about the bullying incidents but it's they aren't releasing details about what if anything resulted from those complaints you're listening to the scott radley show podcast on 900 chml we're talking about the killing of Devin Selvey that everyone has been following here in town, the 14-year-old at Sir Winston Churchill. There's a vigil going on right now, actually, as we speak for him. I want to bring back Katrina Clark into the conversation. She's the spectator reporter who's been covering this from the beginning. Uh, Katrina, let's go through some of these things that we've been hearing about and either confirm or deny as far as we know. There was a report in one of the papers today that he had been stabbed 18 times. Is there any truth to that? That's nothing that I've had confirmed to me um, by police. So that's what I would have to say about that. Okay. As far as I know, we don't know how many times he was stabbed. Based on the story, that, based on the rough outline of the story we've been told, though, that sounds highly unlikely. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't want to comment okay. on that, but um, fair enough. It, that's a high number of times to get stabbed, and you know, it's a terrible incident, regardless. But, Absolutely. Yeah, we don't know if there's any truth to that. Certainly, the uh, there were two kids, two 16-year-olds, who were arrested yesterday, and there were lots of thoughts that these two were going to be facing charges. They were released today. Now, the obvious conclusion from that is that the police didn't feel there was evidence enough to charge them with anything. What did uh, Detective Sergeant Berzuk, who's looking after this, what did he have to say about why those two were released? You know, I actually wasn't at the press conference, uh, the news conference this afternoon, so I'm not entirely sure. But yeah, certainly um, they weren't charged. So that would lead us to believe that there wasn't evidence to um, support a, a charge of any kind. Do we now there's been tons of talk about this at, right from the very beginning about bullying and um the mom, the mother talked about it today and said that he'd been bullied. And I know it came up in the um, GoFundMe page that his sister, uh, GoFundMe account that his sister started mentioned bullying. But at this point, do we know whether the two people who are currently facing charges are alleged to have been involved in any bullying? Is there, have we been told directly that they were involved in incidents with him previously? You know, that's not something that we have been able to properly confirm. I mean, I think at this point, it's still an ongoing police investigation. And certainly it seems as though the people who were harassing um, Devin on Monday when his mom showed up were the same people that had been harassing him sort of from the beginning of the school year. But because we can't... um, you know, there's a publication ban on the 18-year-old's name and the uh, Youth Justice Act prevents us from, you know, knowing the 14-year-old's name. Um, we we aren't, you know, it's impossible to connect those, those dots. But what was said today, and again, this may have been at the press conference with the detective sergeant, so you may not have been there, but what was, I believe, said was there were reports of some bike theft earlier in the year, but they're not considering that right now related to this. So there's there's all kinds of pieces of this story that seem like they may or may not be part of it, but it's really hard to put together what really is part of this story. Yeah, I would agree. The, uh, and again, uh, Sergeant Barazuk says, uh, here's a quote from him, I would be cautious of the, uh, of the weight of things you see on social media. It's wise advice because it seems, again, like there is a ton of stuff that is flying around out there. Um, last thing on this, and then I'll let you go, and that is one of the things we've heard, and I guess this is no surprise in 2019, but they, we, we've heard that some students have some kind of video on their cameras that they've turned in. That, that's of, in, in this day and age, that's of no surprise to anybody that this somehow pieces of this would have been captured on a camera phone. Yeah, as far as I know, police haven't uh, addressed exactly where video footage has come from. I mean, they've said if anyone has any evidence of anything to, to hand it in. But they did confirm that the incident was filmed, um, again, at the first press conference late on Monday. Um, police wouldn't say how it was filmed, if it was filmed on a camera phone or where the, the video came from. But, yeah, certainly the incident was filmed, according to police. Do we know if the school has video cameras up on the exterior of the school? You know, I don't know that. I would assume most schools do. I'm not sure if it would have, if they did, if it would have captured exactly where the incident happened. It was sort of behind school property, but uh, yeah, I don't know about that. 
You can read uh, all that Katrina and the rest of the folks down at the spec have been working on with this, and there's a big staff that's doing this. Uh, Katrina, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you can read that at thespec.com. You can get it in the paper tomorrow. You can pick up a hard copy of the paper. Um, it, it is it is truly one of those stories that stuff just keeps changing seemingly minute by minute. And as mentioned, the, the latest thing was the police saying that it was the 14-year-old that was the one who, there's two charged, an 18 and a 14-year-old, but that it was the 14-year-old who actually, they say, had the knife or did the stabbing. I mean, as we said yesterday, regardless of what details you want to throw into this, I'm not sure it makes it worse. I'm not sure if the the motive, I'm not sure if the peripheral details, the direct details, I'm not sure if anything makes it worse. You've got a 14-year-old a boy who is stabbed and dies right in front of his mother. The other stuff all, once you've, once you've, once you've reached that level, I don't know that anything else really makes it worse. Certainly doesn't make it any better. But the idea that a 14 year old was the person, according to police, who was the one who, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it, it, it may not make it worse. It does to me make it perhaps more surprising because do you not, do you not at least hope that someone who's 14 isn't contemplating stuff like this? I mean, I know any, I know people are capable regardless of their age. We've seen horrible things done by people of all different ages, but you would not that you would hope the 18 year old would do it, but man, the 14 year old really at 14, you have that much hate going on that you, oh, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand it, but I, and I'm thinking that's the point. Nobody understands. You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML. I want to talk about something that happened down the highway, but it involves a team that people around here tend to love to despise. I don't even think hate is an appropriate word anymore. Despise. Find great delight in its misery. Pick whatever other word you want. Of course, we're talking about the Argos. I want to bring in Rick Zamperin, football guru from 900 CHML. Thanks Hello, for popping in. So Argos, get rid of Jim Pop, mm-hmm. one of, the, who's their GM, one of the Legendary, fair to call him legendary. One I would say the, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, of the modern era. Multiple Grey Cups, sure. Yeah, multiple Grey Cups, had an extraordinary career with the Alouettes. Yep. Um, came to Toronto, won a Grey Cup with a 9-9 nine and nine team and, 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 you know, a quarterback who was kind of on his last legs but had a great playoff run, Ricky Ray. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd put Jim Pop among the legends of the CFL, for Certainly sure. in the modern era. Yeah, he without is. a doubt. Uh, so they get rid of, they fire him yesterday because the Argos right now are to football what... <laughs> I don't know. A sore throat is to opera. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm trying to. Wow, you that's you pretty harsh. Your, you pick your simile there, whatever. Um, it, it, what a giant pimple on the nose of a model is to okay. good looking. Yes. Uh, th- they've been horrible. And yeah. the team, you know, the Jim Pop magic is gone, clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a team that had Mark Tressman and got rid of Mark Tressman, who, again, talk about legendary yep. CFL coaches. He's in that category. This is a team that is in free fall. They just got obliterated by BC. BC fifty-five to eight. Fifty-five yeah. to eight. That's I was getting close to that old Ticat sixty-one to one score against Calgary. We're in yes. the ballpark. Sixty to one. Hey, Sixty hey, to one. Hey, pardon hey, me. Hey, hey. You did the po- the fifth quarter for that one. You remember? <laughs> and they've lost. You know, their worst loss ever was earlier this year to the Ticat sixty-four fourteen. Yeah. So yeah, this is a sad sacked unit. And 
the thing about the, so so the response. Let me finish the story. For those who don't know, most people probably do. The response to this is the Argos have gone back to the well mm-hmm. named Pinball. Yeah. The well the well is always named Pinball. When there's a problem, call Pinball. He's <laughs> like the Batman signal in yes. Gotham City. Here he comes. He came in as coach a few years ago. Did okay. I don't think he did great, but he did okay. Yeah. And now they bring back Pinball to be the general manager. He has no that I know of general managing experience. No. But he's pinball. Yeah. He's pinball and, you know, he's a football guy. So I think he knows talent when he sees it. Uh, you know, the, uh, I mean, there's a lot of hurdles in front of him and that organization. Uh, the first of which is finding better talent because right now they don't have that much of it. Uh, and it's strange to say because just two years ago they were hoisting the trophy. But, you know, it's it's almost starts and ends with the quarterback. And if you don't have a guy at that position, you're only going to get so far. Um, and in saying that, you know, there's been a lot of backups this year and teams are still chugging along like the Ticats, but, you know, apart Every, from the quarterback like everybody. and everybody else. Uh, here in Hamilton, though, apart from the quarterback, there's a much better team than there is down the highway, that's for sure. When you're talking about, you know, defense and special teams, the coaching staff in general, uh, how they've built a win over the past number of years. Um, yeah, the Argos have a lot of heavy lifting coming up here. But to use a football phrase, is this not the ultimate Hail Mary, though? To call, I mean, there's there's got to be lots of other people in the world who are, even though Pinball's a football guy, he hasn't been involved with football operations. He hasn't been with the league directly with right. hands-on stuff. There's got to be tons of other people. I mean, Jim Barker is on the sidelines for the Ticats. He's been with the Argos before. Yep. I mean, yep. there's a guy, I'm just picking a name out of the blue. I mean, and there's a million Jim Barkers mm-hmm. that you would say, oh, there's a guy who's in the game right now. Yeah. Pinball seems to me to be that thing that, again, you throw that bat signal up and you go, oh, come save the day. Yeah. Cause and and this, I mean, it is truly a Hail Mary because, you know, what is the other option in terms of uh, the public's perception of where this team is going? And I think that's not necessarily, the, you know, they've been painted into a corner, but the president of the Argos, Bill Manning, has gone and said, okay, how can we turn this ship around? Because, you know, we're out of the playoffs. We're 2-12. and 12, We stink. We're not going to do anything now. Let's, you know, uh, press the eject button on pop, get someone in here, and let's start building for 2020. Uh, as I said, there's a lot of heavy lifting, but the fact of the matter is, you know, bringing in a pinball Clemens, a legend of the Argos that the fans in Toronto know and love and really is love and respected across the league. Uh, I think PR wise, it's a great move because here's for how long? Well, that's the question. How long? Probably a season in, especially if things don't turn around because if they are, I don't know, five and 13 next year, I mean, pinball can only do so much. Uh, the fans still won't come out, but at least they recognize that, you know, here's a recognizable, lovable, uh, iconic brand in Toronto who's trying to do the best he can for the team. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, he can only do so much. Why would you not, if you're the Argos, and assuming that their belief is, like most teams, that winning solves everything. Right. And I don't know that it does solve everything. We'll get to that in a couple of minutes. But but assuming you believe that the concept that winning solves everything, why would you not go and get someone who is more mm-hmm. of a surefire player person than pinball? So the guy who's going to do most of the heavy lifting is not going to be pinball. I think he's the face of this kind of you know new regime, if you will, new slash old regime in Toronto. John Murphy, who is a player personnel guy with the Stampeders for a number of years, is probably going to be that guy uh, who is going to say, hey, you know, the, these are the players we got to you know pinpoint and target and go after and recruit uh, and entice to come to Toronto. That will include free agents as well in the offseason. Um, but again, it's not going to be a one-year fix. Like, this is a long-term, 
you know, three to five year plan, I would assume, because there's a lot of holes to fill. So is this then more similar? Remember a few years ago, and I'm trying to think of the guy's name, who was the GM, the guy who was made GM of the Thai Cats, who had been a marketing guy, Rob? Rob Katz. Rob Katz, yes. but Ron Lancaster was still around. He was sort of the football guy. Yeah, yeah. But then you had Rob Katz in the background who apparently was doing all the football. It was a very confusing, mm-hmm. it sounds similar in Toronto. We're going to make pinball the guy yeah. who has to go and sit in front of everybody. Yep. But he's not really then doing it? Yeah. I mean, for lack of a better term, pinball is going to be a consultant to John Murphy. And, and, and Murphy is going to be you know, the guy who is going to pinpoint those guys who are going to make the team better. But at the end of the day, I think pinball is there. Yeah, he'll get some, you know, some tasks to do. But he's more the face of the front office now. Whether it's going to work or not, that's that's the other, that's well, the other question. Well, y- you know, uh, you're right, and this is such a mess right now. Now, the, the the Argos, to their credit, and I know no one around here likes to give them any credit, man, since the uh, Ticats last won a great cup, they've won two or three, yeah. and they seem to, every once in a while, just be horrible, and then the next year pop out of the blue and right. win a great cup, and then go back to being terrible, so who knows? Yeah, if you're an Argos fan, you can take solace in the fact that things can happen rather quickly, as you know happened two years ago. Who would have thought that the Argos were going to win the great cup? Um, so it could happen in a year or two. I doubt it, because you know this is a team that is scraping the bottom of the barrel. But if they can attract a number of free agents, some NFL cast-offs or NCAA uh, NFL wannabes, then maybe they might do it next year. But Can I don't pinball think so. still play? You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Back on the Scott Radley Show with Rick Zamperin from 900 CHML, which is here. I mean, really, here I really need to really introduce you. Is from CHML. We're you're from this place. <laughs> I'm from here. The radio station you're listening to is where <laughs> Rick is from. Uh, we're talking about the Argos mess. And the Argos fired their GM, just hired Pinball Clemens yesterday, as Rick just said, kind of to do work, kind of to be the face of the franchise. But Rick, the, the real story behind this, honestly, is it strikes me, it seems to me that Pinball Clemens may be the last gasp. Where, where do you go after Pinball Clemens in Toronto if this doesn't work? Whew. From a player personnel-wise position, uh, there's not a lot of, to choose from when you're looking at former Argos. You know, the first name that popped in my mind, and I don't think he would all be interested, hopefully this doesn't turn into a Twitter firestorm, would be a guy like Doug Flutie, who's been in football his whole life. Uh, he's doing the TV thing now. Um, but, you know, if enticed by, uh, you know, enough money from the Argos, might consider, all right, I can get into front office work. Does the the CFL now though has a salary cap on football operations yes. people? Does that include the GM or just coaches? Do you know? Uh, that's a good question. I think it's just the coaching staff. So the GM, you could pay any amount of money I'm you wanted sure. to, yeah, to lure him. Because I mean, Doug Flutie's not going to come here for a hundred grand, no, leave no, his ESPN college coaching gig or uh, t- an analysis gig. But he would be in the same boat as Pinball. I mean, a guy that doesn't have any front office experience. So here's a you know a beloved figure in Toronto, uh, an iconic player on the field. But what can he do? in terms of being a general manager. I mean, how many GMs in the league, uh, or even player personnel guys, were great players in the league? I mean, when you look across the landscape, there aren't a lot. I mean, there's head coaches in that category. Yep, but general sure. managers? Eh, I think no, it's a different story. There are player, There are guys who were players, yep. but not necessarily star players. Correct, yeah. Um, yeah. But I go back to my point, is that you're, you're, this team, I mean, look, it has had a million lives already. Mm-hmm. And it's been propped up. TSN has wanted it propped up because it's key to their coverage and everything else. But is there not a point, Rick, and I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer here. Is there not a point at which 
I mean, they're attracting 12,000 fans a game, and that's the announced attendance. Mm-hmm. If you watch games, yeah, you know that than. it's lower than that. This is a city of, what, five, six million people, and they can't get anybody to yeah. go. At what point does it become dire? Yeah. There's no, and, and this is where I think the pinball factor comes in, but there's no rock star status with the Argos right now. Um, and whether that would have changed if Bo Levi Mitchell was the quarterback or if Mike Riley was the quarterback or if they had a couple of other star players, it's it's nowhere near where it used to be with the Rocket and John Candy and Wayne Gretzky no. and Bruce McNall owning the team. I mean, that was really the height of the Argos' popularity. And they have fallen so far from that just like you know two decades ago, really, um, that I'm not sure if there's a... Uh, uh, a time that this team can rebound. I think they might just slowly enter the ether, and that's it. You say they're not. There's no rock star status. I, the Argos right now on the scale of rock stars are the folks who were the first of four opening acts for the Proclaimers. <laughs> I mean, they are yeah. so, far so far down the list. Of, but pinball is in that category, and that's really their last kind of. But that's what I'm saying. If pinball doesn't work out, yeah. where do you turn next for the Argos to try and salvage? They look. It was absolutely going to work when they moved out of Rogers Center right. into BMO Field. That has clearly not done it. It was absolutely going to work when they had tailgate parties, mm-hmm. and that didn't work. It was. You know, one thing after another and nothing has worked. And at some point, again, maybe the folks at MLSE have bottomless pits of money and they have to make tax breaks or whatever for all the money they make from the Leafs and Raptors. But, geez, it seems like you're just throwing money after it. The only thing I can see, you know, the Argos, you know, improving their attendance uh, figures is if they have an, an absolute blockbuster team that's breaking records and has... Players that just become superstars in the CFL that contribute to the community. They go into schools and they, you know, excite students. And those kids want to, you know, go to the game. And their parents are almost compelled to go to the game because this team is so amazing to watch. But man, oh man, uh, you know, you would have to supplant like a Calgary Stampeders team in Toronto, have them go, you know, sixteen and two, and be the talk of the town. But man, but who's the, even watching? So, and I, I don't disagree with the concept, but you to get that to happen, people have to be aware that this is happening. Yes. And I don't see that there's a generation that's even aware this is happening no, in Toronto because they're so far down the ladder. You know, the Argos. I mean, the uh, uh, Leafs, Raptors. You know, TFC's in there. Um, you know, there's so many other things to put your eyeballs on, uh, not including all the other stuff that's happening in our world. That the Argos have fallen so far down the ladder, they have become really uh, a non-factor in the, in a city of four or five million. And I know the answer, we only have a minute or so here. I know that the one thing that defenders will always say is, well, look at the TV numbers. The TV numbers are pretty good. Yeah. Except those are TV numbers from across the country. Right. So there are CFL fans in Saskatchewan who will watch any game yeah. or places. And Toronto, again, is what, six, seven, eight million mm-hmm. people. And if you're getting 300 or 400,000, that's not, not terrific number TV numbers. No. Especially when that's a national audience. I, I, I fear, honestly, I, I don't know. Well, uh, we only, as I say, we only have seconds. Can the C, could the CFL survive without Toronto? It's the eternal question. Could it happen? We may find out, but I think, could it happen? I think theoretically, yeah. I don't think they want to survive without the biggest market in the country, but I think they might at one day be forced to do that because unless MLSE is willing to foot the bill eternally for you know, a franchise that's not attracting a lot of eyeballs... Uh, yeah, I can't see a good and a good scenario. Truthfully, I mean, look, the the salary cap is what five point three million this year. Yeah. I mean, in MLSE world, that's a third line forward, right? 
So maybe maybe that's just chump change. And, they go, oh, and, who cares? Yeah, we'll and that's that. all paid by the TV contract. Right. Maybe really. maybe we can live with that. So yeah. anyway, it is a uh, it's going to be interesting to see if pinball can do anything with this because uh, right now it is um, the tie cats have had some messy years. I don't think they've ever been well, not often anyway. Not yeah. like this. Not too often. Two thousand three is probably the closest. That was that the no money? That year? was the one seventeen bankruptcy. Yes, and yeah. not being paid money. Well, yeah. th- uh, this may be close. Rick Zamper, thanks for doing this. You got it. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Before I came into the studio tonight, uh, CHCH on the newsroom TV here in the station was playing Happy Days. And I am reasonably confident that somewhere in the world, at all times, 24 hours a day, that show is playing somewhere as it should be. These are angry times sometimes in the world. And that show was anything but angry. It was a wonderful escape. Still is. And I mention all this because my next guest became known to you for playing Ralph Malf on that show, on Happy Days. These days he's in St. Jacob's, just up the road, acting in a play called Art at the St. Jacob's Country Playhouse. It's running until October the 20th. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But right now I want to bring in Ralph Malf. Don Most is his real name. You probably know him by the other name, but uh, he joins us now. Don, thanks for doing this today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thrilled you could do this. It is uh, just hearing your voice. Your voice sounds exactly the same as it did and that everybody remembers. You've probably heard that a million times. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, people sometimes will say, oh, you know, I, I didn't maybe recognize you right away, but as soon as I heard your voice, that's what gave it away. Well, so, um, yeah, that's, it's interesting how that happens. I, I wouldn't have guessed that. Well, I tell you what, I, I, I was looking you up, and I, I want to ask you about a bunch of things, but I was looking you up on IMDb. People look up Internet Movie Database all the time to see your career and things like that. And I was reminded that, and when I say your voice and re- it being familiar, you were Mr. 70s. I mean, yeah, you were on Happy Days, but you were on Love Boat and Fantasy Island and Chips and Emergency. I mean, it was like a rundown of my childhood TV shows. You were the man who was on all those things. Well, I did a fair amount of, the, you know, guest appearances on those shows during that time. Um, I was mixing it up, doing a lot of theater as well, um, when I, whenever I could. And um, and some, you know, and then some film work here and there, um, uh, which has gotten more so as of late, actually. But, uh, yeah, there was, a, you know, I mean, those shows, they had a, there was a sort of a, a oh, excuse me, there was a tendency, you know, especially Love Boat and Fantasy Island, those kind of shows, to, to bring in guest stars that were on other shows that were well-known at this time. So uh, that was sort of the uh, routine, you know. But that said, even with all that and even with the theater and everything else you've been doing, is there a day in your life that goes by that someone doesn't call you Ralph Malf? Um, Yeah, some days, you know, uh, there are days where... <laughs> I, it's, it's surprising that I'll go around, uh, especially in the LA area and, and no one will really, um, recognize me or, and, and they're used to seeing people. So it's not that big a deal as well. Um, but, but then there are days where all of a sudden everywhere I go, people are recognizing me <laughs> and I can't figure it out. Like why, why some days it doesn't happen at all. And the other days it, it it's like nonstop. So I'll, I've tried to, it's like a mystery to me. I keep thinking, well, uh, it's something that maybe when I wear certain clothes or, or, or my hair looks a certain way, I still haven't figured it out. But um, it's, it's very surprising because it, 
it's sort of, uh, it, it goes in and out, <laughs> is, my recognizability factor. Is that a good thing that you're still, I mean, it's great, I suppose, in your, in your line of work to be recognized, but I'm wondering where the line is between, you know what, it's fantastic and amazing that I did something that people will remember me for probably until the day I die. And then the other side of it, which is, man, I wish I could be Don Most just one day and not Ralph Melf. Well, luckily, I do have that a lot. You know, like I was alluding to, I do have that. It, it, it was it was much rougher back in the, you know, back in the seventies and eighties when we were the number one show on TV, and they, you know, and there was no internet, there was no cable, so we had fifty, sixty million people watching us every Tuesday night in in the in, in the U.S. alone. So uh, then it was very difficult, and and um, I mean, it was great in one on one hand, but then difficult as well because it's not it's all the time it's not when you want it you know it's just 24 7 so so it took a while to get used to that and adapt to that but but the way it is now it's much more manageable (laughs) it's much more civilized and 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 it's it's pretty easy to deal with am i correct that your initial plan as a young man was to become an engineer well no that was never made plan but i entered um i I entered uh, Lehigh University in Pennsylvania as an engineering major, but that was my my parents, you know, wanted me to go go to college and you know to have have a backup plan because I started pursuing. I grew up in New York City in Brooklyn, and I started pursuing acting and singing when I was about thirteen. You know, seriously pursuing it, uh, going to a school in 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 Manhattan for that and. And then eventually, and I was actually uh, singing before I was acting. I was singing when I was 14, 15 years old in a nightclub act up in Catskill Mountain Resort area, upstate New York. And then switched to acting. And, um, but my parents, uh, you know, wanted to make sure that they knew how difficult the profession could be and wanted me to have something substantial to back it up. So I, I, that's why I entered uh, Lehigh as an engineering major. Um, never. Then I switched out of that uh, after six months because I knew I didn't have the, you know, focus for that because I was still so focused on acting, and um, and then went out to California, you know, after my junior year for the summer and never made it back to to um, new, to the East Coast and so so yeah. The, uh, but my first plan was actually more on the singing side, and I've been doing a lot of that lately. I've gone back to it because I've always loved that kind of music, the standards, you know, the jazz standards and, and, and swing and big band and jazz and blues. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go. I have to leave. Luckily, there's no show on Sunday because I, I have a concert at a jazz and blues festival in New Jersey that I'm going to. And then I come back Monday and, and finish the last week at St. Jacob's Playhouse to, uh, in the play art that you mentioned earlier. And you know, you, you talk about your singing, we're jumping around, but you talk about your singing and you know, the, I listened to a bunch of it online uh, yesterday and there are some actors and you know this, you don't have to name any names. There are some actors who sing because they think they can sing. Uh, we quickly <laughs> learn better. You can sing. I was, I was blown away by your singing. I had, I, I mean, maybe I should have known this ahead of time, Don, but you are a great singer. I didn't know that. Oh, thanks. Yeah, a lot of people don't know. You know, it's difficult when, you know, people, you, you know, you get categorized. And so you thought of as an actor a certain way, you know, that character that I played, it was tough breaking away from that. 
as an actor. And then um, since I didn't do a lot of, um, I put the music aside when I was, uh, you know, in my uh, late teens and early 20s, especially once I got Happy Days. And um, that music that I loved was not in favor back then. You know, it was sort of looked on as passe. But but uh, the Great American Songbook and the standards have come back. And that's why I said, hey, if I'm never going to do it, I'm going to do something with it now. And um, and I, even, I have an album out called Demost, Mostly Swinging, with this great big band. And um, yeah, So it is a little bit of a secret that I'm trying... I'm hoping it won't be a secretive and trying to get it out there more and more and doing some shows because I just love the music so much. And it was my first love. So, um, you know, it's always been in my blood. And and as I say, it's really good. Like I, I, I listened to it and I was very impressed because I, and I, I had no expectation, but, uh, it is, it's very good. Yeah. You're, you're acting. Thank you. Your acting career, when you first started, am I correct that your first role, I mean, it, what I found anyway, your very first role probably was not all that glamorous, was in MASH as a, as a, as a victim or something, lying on a stretcher? You know, that I should tell the IMDB, that's a mistake. I never did a MASH. I don't know how they, <laughs> uh, they thought that was, it must have been someone who looked like me, but I never did a MASH. My first, you know, uh, TV show that I have a credit for uh, I did an episode of Room 222. It was a show back in, yep. back in the 70s on ABC. And I, I did an episode of that, and I did an episode of Emergency, another sh- that other show, and you know, and then I got Happy Days. So, um, uh, but, and then it, before that, in New York, I was doing a lot of commercials and uh, a couple of small TV things, but they were really small. They, they weren't shooting a lot of TV shows in New York then, but they Commercials were big, and and I came close on a couple of Broadway shows, you know. So there were a couple of near misses, but then when I went out to California, that's when things really heated up for me. How did you get the role of Ralph? Well, um, my agent uh, told me about that I had an interview uh, audition set up for a new uh, pilot for a new show taking place in the 50s, and so I went in and had the first audition, and then um, I got called back for a second one, and this time it was in uh, for Gary Marshall and about ten other people, uh, you know, network uh, Paramount executives and, and people like that. And then they called me again and said they wanted to screen test me. So and it was after the screen test that that uh, they offered me the role um, that you know of, of uh, Ralph. So so yeah, it was a it was a bit of a drawn out process, but kind of typical, you know. Did did I understand, and again, this may be just one of those internet rumors, but did I understand that you originally had auditioned, though, for the role of Potsy? That is true. Yes, uh, I did audition for that, and then they um, they called my agent and said, well, he didn't get the role of Potsy, but the, the network execs or and the studio execs liked his screen test so much, they want to create a role for him. A regular part and there was a small part in the pilot of a guy named Ralph who was into cars and you know he had, had like just a, a few lines in one scene a couple lines in another scene and they said but we'll make that part a regular so that's what that's exactly you were right on that one that rumor was <laughs> accurate 
when did you realize then, because uh, this show, I mean, I, I can't remember how long it took for this show to really take off, but wh- when did you realize suddenly that this guy from who came from the East Coast and was just trying to get a career in acting, when did you realize you were, you'd made it and you were famous? <laughs> wow. Um, probably, it was pro- probably, uh, there was a, the network, ABC would send Ron, Howard and Anson Williams and Henry Winkler and myself on these publicity tours uh, sometime you know, in between when we were off from shooting for a little while. So the first one they sent, the first experience we had on that, um, it was probably after, somewhere after the first season, I guess. And we weren't number one yet. I mean, that didn't happen until sometime in season three. But, but the first inkling I got of, of what might be in the in the future was um they sent us out on this on, on like i said a publicity tour and our first stop was in houston and uh we we were supposed to appear at this outdoor uh venue uh i don't know what they were going to have uh, i don't know if they were going to have a concert there or not but we were going to get up there first just to get up and say a few words and say hello to the crowd as part of this publicity thing and and, you know, Henry was with us, and Henry was getting really popular already. So when when um, we got on stage, I, I, we, 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 when we, the limo brings us up to this area, and there's like swarms of people, and they're coming out the limo, and, 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 and Anson's going, wow, there must be something big going on here today. You know, we, we had no – and then, you know, I think I think uh, Henry said, I think it's us, you know, and we didn't have any idea that that what was coming and then when we get up on stage and henry got out and and they were all yelling and henry did an a or something like that and they went crazy and so you know we all looked at each other i remember Anson and i looking at each other it was like we were in the twilight zone you know i think that's what we kind of knew did, did it ever stop? Because, I mean, people forget. I mean, it, look, time passes. People forget, as you describe, how enormous that show was. And as you also point out, it was way before internet. It was before cable. It was before all these things. There were limited channels. So there were only so many shows that had that kind of publicity and popularity. Do you do you remember? Or how, I mean, how long did it go on like that before it became? It started feeling normal to you? Or did it ever? That, that, yeah, that's a tough question. Um it went on for a while, um, you know, because we were number one for a while. And then even if we went down a little, we were still like two or three, you know. And that was going on for years. So, you know, I'd, I'd say it probably was a, before it felt a little bit more normal. It was probably a good, you know, five to seven years um, after. after, And it's hard to even uh, place because I left the show. Uh, after the seventh season, and the show still ran for four more years after that. So I left around 1980. I was there from 1974 through to 80, 81. Um, you know, so after that, it started to. Uh, but but you know, we were still on in reruns. And, so it, it, it probably persisted for a few more years after that. It was so big, and again, I may have this may be just an internet rumor, but John Lennon showed up on your set one time, right? Oh oh yeah. Yeah, I have this great picture, and um, I've posted it, and it's been on the internet. Um, a picture when he came to the set with with Julian and uh, Julian, and um, uh, he, it was it was amazing. I mean, we couldn't believe it. That it was in the first year, it was in the first season because 
Um, well, John always was a big fan of music from the 50s, and I guess Julian, um, you, you know, was liked the show, and, and they were doing a little trip in California. I think they were going to go to Disneyland, so nobody told us. I, we had no idea, and all of a sudden, um, <laughs> yeah, Hanson comes up to us on the set. We were getting ready to shoot a scene, and um, and he said, wow, this guy just walked in to the soundstage and it's just like John Lennon. We're all laughing, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. And then all of a sudden he comes over and, and it was, and we were like freaking out. And, uh, and he took, a, he stayed for a couple of hours. He was so, 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 you know, so warm and very low key and very humble and, um, and talking with the crew and hanging while we were rehearsing and just watching with, with the sun and, and, and so we have, we got a great, great photo with them. And uh, I treasure that. It's hanging on my wall. We only have a few more minutes, but I want to definitely ask you about this place. So you, you said a few moments ago that in addition to what we've been talking about, about Happy Days, which everybody knows you from, you've done a million other things. And many of those things are live theater. And that's what you're doing here in St. Jacob's. You're playing uh, the role of Serge in a play called Art. T- tell us about the play. What's the play about? Yeah, now the play, it's a fabulous play. Um, I, I had heard of it because um, it won the Tony for Best Play um, Broadway back about 20 years ago. And I so I was always aware of it. And then when I got offered to do it up here and got to read it and really, really see read it, um, I was I was blown away. The The writing is, is brilliant. I love the, love the, uh, the overall piece and a great, a vehicle for three actors it's just three actors on stage almost the whole time and um my character is it revolves it's not real i mean art is is the backdrop for it um it's really about male you know friendship uh, these three guys it's about their friendship and art is the catalyst because my character buys this he's very into art and modern art and he buys this painting that and he spends a lot of money that his best friend is is just appalled, just aghast that he would spend this money, <laughs> that kind of money on on a painting that he he sees almost like nothing, nothing. And I don't want to give too much away. Um, so so it sort of is the like I said the catalyst for it starts to open up all these things and peel away layers of uh, in their friendship and and it, it's very funny, but it also gets serious at times you know it's it's both it's like life you know but it's it's um it's a great great play and i'm having a wonderful time and the other two actors are, are terrific uh, lee mcdougall um who lives in he's in stratford area and he, he was on broadway for two years in that play come come away home and and ralph smalls the other actor who plays yvonne and he's wonderful and he's uh, you know done a ton of stuff a real veteran I, I couldn't be happier doing uh, working with them and all the people at uh, Drayton Entertainment. That uh, that's uh, one of their theaters, St. Jacobs, and it's been a great, great experience. And the audiences are responding to the play, in, uh, you know, just wonderfully. Just and it's had great reviews. Happened. It's had great reviews. Oh, that's good to hear. <laughs> I'm glad no, to hear that. I haven't seen them yet, but. Um, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. It sure sounds, it just feels like it would be based on the response I've been hearing, you know. So, uh, yeah, I think people have a great time to come see us. And, and the theater is lovely, St. Jacob's. And, you know, it's, it's, it's intimate. It's, 
so you feel like you're part of it. It's a it's a great play for that theater, and it's, um, I'm just I'm I'm just loving the experience and um, and and getting around this area has been fun too. Do you, enjoying it. At this point in your life, do you have to audition anymore, or do you just call up, or your agent just call oh, yeah. up and say, "Hey, Don wants to do this play," and they say, "Hey, by all means, please come along." Um, I'm still auditioning, you know, like in LA for most for things that come up. My agent can get me on in on that they think I'm right for. I still, for the most part, part audition, um, but sometimes uh, there are things that are offered to me as well. So. Um, you know, it's a little of both. Uh, I just did uh, a film this summer in Michigan, and, and, you know, they came to me, and they came to me a year ago for another movie. So um, I like that. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's, I, I, I used to not mind the audition process, but as I've gotten older, I've come to not. Uh, <laughs> it's, not it's something I, I, I would rather avoid if possible. You know what I'd love to see you in, Don? And I thought about this the other day. I don't know if you watched any of the HGTV, the television network, just did this thing where they remade the inside of the Brady Bunch house and turned it into exactly as it was in the 70s. My wife and I were down in California a couple months ago, and we drove by the Cunningham's house, which is just the exterior. And I thought, I want to get Ralph and Potsy and Richie and all those, and Henry Winkler and all of them, do the Happy Days house, do the Cunningham house the same way, buy it from the people and turn it back into the way it was back then. That would be a great show for you guys. (laughs) Well, um, yeah, I mean, that might be fun, but that's not really what I'm... Not exactly. I'd rather be doing, you know, material like I'm doing right now, um this play art, which is a brilliant piece. Absolutely. And, um, serious piece and, and all kinds of, all kinds of material. That's what I'm really loving right now is I'm getting to do a wide variety of roles in different things. And that's what I hope continues. His name is Don Most. You can see him until October the 20th at the St. Jacob's Country Playhouse, DraytonEntertainment.com. The play is called Art. Really appreciate you taking some time today. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure, and thank you again for having me. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.